You may have heard that most people who are black have O blood type. O is commonly needed for emergencies. But did you know one in three of us is a match for patients with sickle cell disease? Regardless of blood type, every day our blood saves lives and eases the pain of those living with sickle cell. Donate blood at Red Cross to help us save a life. Black excellence is in our blood. Visit redcrossblood.org slash ourblood to make an appointment now. Okay, real talk. When did paying someone back become social media? What do you mean? Let's say I'm trying to lurk on you. You know, see what you're doing and who you're doing it with. I can stalk your pay app and find out what you're doing. Oh, yeah, that's, that's kind of weird. You do that? Not anymore. <laughs> I use Apple Cash. It's built into your iPhone, easy and secure. You can send and receive money right in messages. So no public feeds. And the money is immediately available to use with Apple Pay. Babe, did you just send me a dollar on Apple Cash? I just said our cash isn't content. Shh. <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. As a parent, you don't really know the lengths you're willing to go to protect your children until someone puts you there. Absolutely. And I figured out after this experience that I will happily sit in jail for one of my kids. Dead ass. Period. Hey, I'm Kadeen. And I'm DeVal. And we're the Ellises. You may know us from posting funny videos with our boys. And reading each other publicly as a form of therapy. Wait, I make you need therapy? Most days. Wow. <laughs> oh, and one more important thing to mention. We're married. Yes, sir, we mm-hmm. are. We created this podcast to open dialogue about some of life's most taboo topics. Things most folks don't want to talk about. Through the lens of a millennial married couple. Deadass is a term that we say every day. So when we say deadass, we're actually saying facts. 100. The truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. <laughs> we about to take Pillow Talk to a whole new level. Deadass starts right now. So, ladies and gentlemen, this is a warning. This story time is going to be long because there are very detailed points I need you guys to to remember and listen to when I tell this story. I'm going to start by saying, you already know because of the last podcast, Thursday morning had a vasectomy. So, I was a little sore in certain areas, in a bad mood Mm -hmm. for obvious reasons. Friday... Going into Saturday, Cairo has a fever, has a fever and stomach's hurting. He's having some abdominal pain. He's been having this pain for a couple of days, but at this point, he's crippled over, stomach hurting, can barely walk. We decide we're going to take him to the emergency room. So we take him to Emory Hospital. We go to Emory Hospital emergency room. Um, took us took they saw, took us about forty five minutes to be seen. Mm-hmm. wasn't really that long. They right. triaged him immediately. Once they asked about the abdominal pain, they put us in a room. Uh, nurse came and checked him. Nurse practitioner came and checked him. She said, based on his abdominal pain and his fever, mm-hmm. and I was in the room with Cairo, because of COVID protocols, you're only allowed to have one parent in the waiting room at one time and one parent in the emergency room at one time. So because I'm big enough at the time, even though I just had a vasectomy, to carry Cairo because Cairo couldn't walk, I had to carry Cairo from the waiting room to the emergency room. And the doctor said he can barely walk. He couldn't stand up straight. The pain was severe and it kept coming back. She said, it may be appendicitis. 
because of the fever and because of the stomach pain. It could be appendicitis. Um, the problem is at Emory Hospital, they don't have the technology for children to care for children. They said he should get a sonogram to rule out appendicitis. Mm -hmm. So they wrote us a prescription. No, they gave him some ibuprofen. Um, they put down all of the details from his vitals on, in a folder and also sent them to the Children's Hospital of Atlanta where they told us that's where we should go because they have the proper equipment to care for Cairo. They then asked me, do you want us to call an ambulance to get him over there? Um, you, have, you would have to wait for the ambulance to come or you can drive him straight and get him there faster. So I said, dang, this must be serious. I said, I'm going to get in the car and drive my son to the hospital. Kay was already in the car waiting for us. Impatient. Impatient. Texting oh. me every five minutes. Yeah. So I said, Kay, we got to take him to uh, the children's hospital so they can do a sonogram. They think he might have appendicitis. Kay pulls the car up. I carry Cairo into the car. We come home, get our stuff because we don't know how long we're going to be there. And we go straight to the children's hospital. When we arrive at the children's hospital, we go to register him through the emergency room. There was a young man, white boy with a bang, remember this, who's there for registration. I was told at Emory, when you get there, let them know that the doctor called. They're going to see Cairo immediately because he's dealing with possible appendicitis. I get to the front desk. I said, hey, I just came from Emory. Um, they told me to ask for, before I could even finish the statement, the young man says, whatever doctor you spoke to is probably not even here anymore. You're going to have to wait in line like everybody else. At which time I was a little offended and put off, but I said, you know what? It is an emergency room. Everybody's here for an emergency. My emergency can't be any much more important than anyone else's, so let me just wait. It may take a couple minutes. I said, fine. Kyra and I go over to the waiting room where we have to wait. I, find, I fill out all the paperwork, and there's at least 20 kids in the, in the waiting room coughing, sneezing, flu-like symptoms because it's cold and flu season, mm -hmm. and there were two children vomiting. I'm like... I can't have Cairo sit in here. He's not in here for flu-like symptoms. I also have Dakota at home. For all you who don't know, Dakota is immune compromised because he's not even one years old. He, needed a, he has needed a nebulizer every couple of weeks because he's had breathing issues because during cold and flu season, his brothers coming from school brought him home uh, a virus. All sorts of goodies. Called croup. Mm -hmm. Croup is a type of virus that can cause you to lose your breath while you're in your sleep. And you can pass away if you're an infant. So he's immune compromised. So I said, I can't have Cairo sit amongst all of these germs. So I send Cairo in the car with Kay and I wait for his name to be called. After about 20 minutes, his name is called. I text Kay. Kay brings him right in. Now we meet with the nurse who is supposed to be the triage nurse. Meet with the nurse. The nurse sits her down. She says, how old is he? I say six. She takes his weight. And his temperature, she says, what is he here for? I say, he's here for abdominal pain. We came from Emory Hospital. They said that he might have appendicitis. Um, so they said we should come over here because they have all of the instruments for him to get a sonogram. She says, okay, I have all of this paperwork here. Go have a seat in the waiting room. At which point I said, do you have any idea how long the wait is going to be? Because we were sent over here as an emergency. She says, it's a children's hospital. It's cold and flu season. Emory's emergency. I really can't tell you. I said, fine. I'm going to have my wife keep him in the car because there are, you know, a lot of kids over there sick. She says, we prefer to have him sit in the lobby. At which point I said, that's not going to happen. I have an immune compromise. Before I can finish my statement, she walks away. I go, okay. 
okay? Just take them in the car. I'll wait in the waiting room while, you know, they, they figure out what, when Cairo's going to go. At this point, I sat in that waiting room for two hours. Two hours, guys. Now, I sat there for 25 minutes first while they waited to call us back so we can come in and they can ask me what was wrong. Then I waited another two hours and my son was not triaged. You have to understand how important that is. This is an emergency room, children's emergency room. We were sent from another hospital for possible appendicitis. Now we've waited two hours without my son being triaged. No one has checked his vitals. At this point, Kay texted me and says, hey, babe, how much long do you think it's going to be? Cairo's starting to wake up now. The medication they gave him from Emory seems to be wearing off. He says he's starting to get back in pain. So now I'm like, let me figure out what's going on. I go back to the front desk where the young white boy was with the bang. And I say, hey, um, I've been here for a little bit of while. Do you know what the ETA is? He doesn't even look up at me. He says, there are four people who was here before you who've been here longer than you. I said, I understand that, but I also seen people come after me who've already been seen and dismissed. I'm just wondering why we've had to wait, seeing how we came from another hospital. He says, well, we take patients depending on what's important, gunshot wounds, asthma. While I was in there, nobody came with a gunshot wound. So that's neither here nobody nor there. Nobody bleeding. So I said, sir, how can you decide what's important or not if no one has triaged my son? He says, when the nurse spoke to him, she made a decision. I said, she asked three questions and no one checks his vitals. He then starts to ignore me. So I was starting to get upset. I said, hey, do you have any children? Doesn't look up at me and he says, no. At this time, one of the security guards who was an off-duty police officer comes up and says, hey, sir, um, is everything okay? I said, no, everything's not okay. This young man's being extremely dismissive. He goes, well, the security guard goes, can you have a seat? I said, yes, I'll have a seat. But if I say I'll blow this motherfucker up, then he'll pay attention. He goes, you know, you can't say that. I said, that's my point. I can't say that, but it will get everybody to pay attention. Meanwhile, my son is in the car with abdominal pain for the past three hours, possible appendicitis, and no one has triaged him. He says, you know what? That's not right. I'm going to find out what's going on. I sit down and wait another 25 minutes, calmly, patiently. I don't say anything to anybody. I'm just waiting. While I'm waiting, I notice another young father comes in, another black father. He has his son. His son, he's been waiting there for the past 20 minutes. Now, I've been here almost three hours. He's been waiting for 20 minutes. He starts to get upset. He says, listen, are you guys understaffed? Because this doesn't make any sense. My child has autism. If he wakes up in an, in an environment he's not familiar with, seeing all these people, he's going to have an episode. At that time, the triage nurse, the same triage nurse, that told me to wait there, takes his son directly to get triaged. So I look at the security guard like, hey, you see what I'm saying? Something's not right here. I'm still waiting, and they're taking people into triage. He looks at me. He goes, you know what, sir? You're absolutely right. Let me go see what I can find out for you. He goes over to the young man behind the desk to try to find out some information. The young man completely ignores him. He then goes directly to the triage nurse and says, hey, can I ask a question? Why haven't you called Ellis? She walks by him. Now, he's starting to get a little bit upset. He waits outside of the triage area, waits for her to come out. She comes out. He goes, excuse me, ma'am, why haven't you called Ellis? She says, is this why you're calling me? He says, yes. She says verbatim, I didn't call his son because he didn't want to have his son wait in the waiting room. I heard that, and I freaking lost it. I got up. 
I said, this is bullshit. The minute I stood up, the security guards came right over to me and was trying to calm me down. I said, no, this is fucked up. And the words I use right now, I'm not the proudest, but this is what I said. I said, that white bitch decided to deny my son care because I wouldn't listen to what she wanted. I had to take liberties as a parent. I have an immune compromised son at home. I can't have my son sitting in the waiting area with 14,000 kids coughing and sneezing. Then he goes home with another virus that he brings to his brothers. He says, sir, you're absolutely right, but I'm going to need you to calm down. If you don't calm down, I'm going to have to deal with you. Once he said that, I felt triggered. So I took my hoodie off. I said, if you want to fucking deal with me, be ready to fucking deal with me. At this point, he realized that I wasn't playing. Prior to this, he told me to text my wife and told her to bring my wife inside because he was going to make sure that my son was seen. By the time Kay comes inside, I'm surrounded by about six police officers and security guard. Kay says, babe, what's going on? I repeated, this big white bitch decided that she was going to have our son wait in the car for three hours with possible appendicitis because we chose not to have him wait in the waiting room. And when I asked questions, the little white boy behind the desk with the fucking bang was completely dismissive. Once I started speaking out and everyone was listening to what was going off, other nurses came. Black nurses, of course. The security people I was dealing with were all black. Extremely compassionate. Extremely compassionate. Listen to every word I had to say. I explained how wrong it was. I made it very clear. If my son would have died with appendicitis in the car, all I would have gotten was an apology from the hospital. And all of this could have been avoided if they would have just triaged my son. But when do you ever go to a hospital and not get triaged for three hours because you, because you don't want to sit in the lobby? At this point now, I've made a scene. They've asked me to step outside. Everyone's listened. And out of nowhere, it's, wait a minute, we have a room for Cairo. So Kay goes, so we sat in the car for three hours, not triaged. My husband causes a fit, and now you have All a room a for my son? I said, you know what? And at this point, I had to make a decision because I didn't want anyone in there to touch my son. But I had to be honest. If Cairo was dealing with appendicitis, if we went to another hospital, we would have had to wait to re-register him again, and it would have been another couple of hours. I said, since you have a room, my son can go inside and be seen by a doctor, but that bitch ain't touching my son. Am I proud of calling her a bitch? No. But I'm going to tell you like this. In that moment, I felt so helpless. I really was waiting for someone to touch me because I wanted to unload all of this fury I had in this moment on whoever was going to stop my son from being seen. And I had a woman next to me and my wife, Kadeen, who was ready to do the same thing. Pop off. Yep. I told her in that moment, she said, what do you want me to do? I said, okay, take my wallet, take my phone, because I'm probably going to end up going to jail because I'm going to kill everybody in this motherfucker. Bruh. <laughs> <laughs> After that story, I be getting so riled up. I get mad every time. I, I'm, I'm hot right now thinking about it. Just, just, it was crazy, y'all. Crazy. Don't push me because I'm close, close to, to the edge. edge. I'm trying not, not to lose my head. They got to feel it sometimes. It made me wonder why, why they, they want to take us under. Why they want to take us under. Baby. Bro, listen, John Q up in that bitch. And I promise you, it crossed my mind when I was in the car with Cairo and I was watching him kind of sleep for a little bit. 
And then he started to kind of whimper. I was like, mm-mm, mm-mm. mm-mm. We about to unleash. Let's, you know take, let's take a quick let's break. break. Yeah. Let's, let's cool break. off yeah. <laughs> and come back. Let's go pay some bills. And we'll get into story time. We'll give you some more details about everything that happened. And we'll talk about this healthcare system and what it's looking like or not. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Listen, y'all, losing two loved ones in a matter of six months, it can be a lot. And a lot of times when you're dealing with grief, you have a lot to get off your chest with your family. That's absolutely right. You know, people carry around all different types of stresses, big and small. When you keep them bottled up, it can start to affect you negatively. And therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to kind of figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com deadass today to get 10% off your first visit. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash deadass. Hey, what's good, y'all? I think it's important for you to understand why black representation in media is important. It's important because the media represents how people view us. And it's important that they understand that black people are not a monolithic people. That is a fact. And the next generation of influential black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truth. Black Stories, Black Truth is a celebration of blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, real talk. When did paying someone back become social media? What do you mean? Let's say I'm trying to lurk on you. You know, see what you're doing and who you're doing it with. I can stalk your pay app and find out what you're doing. Oh, yeah, that's kind of weird. You do that? Not anymore. <laughs> I use Apple Cash. It's built into your iPhone, easy and secure. You can send and receive money right in messages. So no public feeds. And the money is immediately available to use with Apple Pay. Babe, did you just send me a dollar on Apple Cash? I just said our cash isn't content. Shh. <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. All right, ladies, let's be real. Who here actually enjoys shaving their legs? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought so. And get this, Nier, yes, Nier, the OG that I used for years, has now leveled up. And they have these new sensational shower creams and body creams that smell amazing. My personal favorite, coconut oil and vitamin E because it's gentle on my skin. And down to the body cream, rich cocoa butter and vitamin E body cream, which is a modern take on indulgent and classic femininity. Okay? It works in as little as three minutes, no nicks, no cuts, and the smooth skin lasts days longer than shaving. 
Nair's new sensational shower and body creams are free of all those nasty chemicals so you can feel good about what you're putting on your skin. Have a me time moment with Nair, the number one hair removal brand. Smell for yourself. Try the reformulated Nair body and shower creams available at retailers nationwide and online. Okay, we back, guys. Um, I'm going to try to use levity mm-hmm. and laugh during this situation because ultimately Cairo was fine. Yes. But this was serious. This no. was extremely serious. And was- there were... Some other things that I saw during that night that I want to talk about. Right. That made me want to talk about this mm-hmm. in this podcast. So just um, to piggyback off of your story time, just from my perspective, of course, me being Mama Bear, being concerned, and then also not being in the room at the mm-hmm. time with DeVal while he was waiting with Cairo. At one point at the first hospital, I went in to bring Cairo's water bottle and he was literally screaming mm-hmm. in tears yes. um, from pain. Yes. And then I had to go back to the car. And I was just literally in tears in in the car and just calling all of my prayer warrior friends to just Mm -hmm. pray over Cairo and the doctors and the nurses in that moment because we just did not know what was happening. And having on and off pain from the Thursday, um, being sent home from school, you know, it just seems like something wasn't right. There was like a relationship between him getting the medication and the fever coming down and the pain going away. Then it came back. So that's what was alarming to us. Um, And Cairo's a tough kid. He's a tough kid, yeah. He usually will be all right. He'll tough it out. But to see him in that excruciating pain and as a parent not being able to do anything about it was, I think, even more triggering for you and I. Yeah. When DeVal called me to finally come inside after having waiting for almost three and a half, now four hours, because I was timing when the medication might have worn off. Yeah. Um, I walk inside with Cairo on my back and I I walk into DeVal pretty much handing me his keys, his everything. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, I'm going to jail because I can't. So I was like, wait a second, what's about to go down? Because I was ready to put Cairo down and be like, so what's happening? Right. Because I think you had told them my wife is going to come in here and it's going to yeah, be because, a bigger problem. No, I, I literally said to them, because I knew I, the nurse was a woman. I, I, and I hate talking about this because I'm not a violent person and right. you should never resort to violence. Right. But I just want to, I want to speak honestly about how I felt the as rage. a parent in the moment. Yeah. I felt like someone used their position of power to endanger my son's life mm-hmm. and hurt my son. Mm-hmm. For three hours, he had to sit in the car in pain. Mm-hmm. And although he was medicated and it wasn't the same excruciating pain, mm-hmm. he's in the car writhing in pain, in and out of sleep. And my wife is sitting in there and I'm just like, you chose to hurt a six-year-old boy mm-hmm. because his parents decided they weren't going to put their son in any further danger by having them wait in the lobby. I w- now, I would have been a little bit more understanding mm-hmm. if I said all three of us are going to wait in the car and right. someone has to come get us. Because but that we, wasn't the that case. That wasn't the case. DeVal and I went in there purposely like any old regular civilian. You know yes. what I'm saying? We didn't go in there saying, you know, my, my husband's an actor or DeVal wasn't pulling any cards. Nope. like. You know, I, I was have, ready to wait. you know, a following of people that'll, no, he we went, we went, in, we went in there and prepared to wait like every other person, every other parent e- in that room. Even though we were sent from another hospital mm-hmm. and part of me, once I said, you know what, none of this would have happened if I would have let them just take Cairo in an ambulance. Mm-hmm. But we were trying to think quicker on our feet and get in there faster. Cause if right. he would have came in an ambulance, they wouldn't have had him wait there. Right. They would have triaged him in the ambulance right. and took him right to a room. But when they gave us the option to potentially take him and then still be seen yes, immediately. They, they told us, ask for this doctor and you will be seen. Mm-hmm. They pretty much let us recall they're waiting for you. Mm-hmm. So I was under the impression that we were going to go right into a room. Mm-hmm. And when the young man dismissed me at the front desk, even still, we waited three hours. Sure did. We didn't cause a fuss. 
We didn't we didn't bring up anything. We just waited. Right. And I felt in that moment that she just used whatever little power she had to punish Cairo. Absolutely. For a decision that we made. Absolutely. And it's like, you know, in that moment too, you try, you try to see other than a race situation, right? You try. And mm. you try to just give people the benefit of the doubt. Right. And you say, you know what? I know my mom has been in nursing for years. My sister right. was an ER nurse. So I get that things get crazy in there. And yeah. they sometimes have to make difficult decisions. But I felt like she was just being vindictive in that moment. Mm -hmm. I felt she was just like, oh, well, these motherfuckers ain't going to listen to me. So I'm going to show them today. That's what it felt like. It, it was very much giving like, oh, I'm going to show these niggas today. Like, y'all not, yes. not going to listen to me. I told you to wait in the waiting room. You're going to wait in your car. Oh, yes. all right. So I got something for you. That's and, what it felt like. And that's, that's when I was said. ready to pop off. But but that but babe, that's what she said. Right. She literally said to him in a condescending manner, I didn't call his name because he didn't want to wait in the waiting room. That's what she said. She uh -huh. didn't think I could hear. Uh -huh. She had a mask on. She was speaking to him, but I was listening keenly because I had nothing else to do. I was there for three hours and I wanted to know what, what the, the issue was. was. Yep. And then on top of that, Remember, he was taking a pain medication and it was no pain up until the sixth hour. Yeah. It was now going on the fourth hour and mm -hmm. he started to feel more pain. Yeah. In this moment, I'm thinking... It's getting worse. It's getting worse. Yeah. Has his appendix ruptured? Has mm -hmm. it become so inflamed that now he may need surgery? And I'm thinking those three hours he spent in the car right. put my son's life in danger. Could have been and dire. And I wanted to put my hands on her. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm not a violent person at all, mm -hmm. right? But that's how I, I felt. So when I took my hoodie off and then the, the officers are like, I'm going to have to deal with you. I was ready for them to deal with me. And I said, well, you know what? Y'all going to deal with me, but that bitch is going to have to deal with my wife. Yeah. Because I came in in, you like, came in in fury. Right after that. Right after you that. You came in right after With Cairo that. on my back. Um, and it's crazy how I saw Deval in that moment. It was rage. It was fury. I was ready to put Cairo down and pop off and do whatever had to be done in that mm. moment. And then when this black nurse came over to me and whispered, says we have a room for him we have a room for him it was like an instant switch because that that i went back into mama thing. bear and i was like wait he can get seen now so it was two part for me it was like great he can get seen now let me take him straight back but it was also all of a sudden y'all find a room right after we were waiting here for almost four hours now all of a sudden there's a room for us right okay that's convenient right. but i took cairo in the back because at this point now cairo that naturally is in pain but he's also scared yeah and he's just like what's going on i heard on? him saying dad i'm fine and I'm he fine. said I'm we fine. don't have to stay we can go home i'm fine yeah and we knew he wasn't he was just trying to be a big boy in trying that be, moment and, and he, he saw, saw his that dad. deval was in at this point in tears um and i felt and, and it wasn't upset. even it wasn't even tears like like more anger i was afraid and I felt so bad. I felt like in that moment, I couldn't protect my son. Absolutely. I said for three hours, I sat here docile and waiting while this woman was being vindictive about punishing my son. And I did nothing. Mm -hmm. I felt guilty as a father. I felt mm -hmm. like I let you down as a husband. I felt like I let Cairo down as a dad. And at that point, I was so upset that I was ready to just let it all out on the line and not care what happened. Right. To prove a point that... You think you can prove a point with my child? I'm about to prove a point. Absolutely. And that's that's just where I was in the moment. Right. And then it started to all, like everything that was happening was in playback. Right before me and Cairo signed up, there was another young lady that was there with her eight-month-old daughter, black woman, there with her eight-month-old daughter and her sister. And they were there right before we were. Mm -hmm. Their daughter was coughing a lot and she was not triaged. They then asked you know, I, I saw her right before I got up to ask. She got up to say, hey, she was very kind, too. She said, hey, I just want to know. She asked the same young man with the bang at the, the fucking counter, what's the ETA? Because, you know, we've been here for a while and I'm running out of formula. 
you know, my, my daughter was getting a little restless. I have no formula and I don't want to have to leave and miss her call. The young man says to her, well, you're just going to have to wait because if you leave and come back, you have to start all over again. And if you go somewhere else, it's going to be the same thing. No compassion. No, mm -hmm. didn't offer a resolution. We're in a children's hospital. Mm -hmm. Hey, we maybe have we have formula, formula here. Yeah. No, it was just you got to sit down and wait. Mm -hmm. So I watched this young lady take her baby and have to make a decision. Am I going to go get formula or am I going to go get seen by a nurse? Mm -hmm. After waiting there for three hours mm -hmm. and they chose to leave. Now, this is my thing. That young lady was sitting there with her daughter coughing and hacking. Very similar to how Dakota was coughing and hacking in here one day. Mm -hmm. And we were able to take Dakota to a doctor, found out Dakota had croup. Mm -hmm. Croup is a virus that causes inflammation in your passage, your ear passage. And at that age, they don't have the ability to fight it like us. Mm -hmm. So he had to then get a nebulizer to clear his ear passage because the smaller it gets, the closer he gets to suffocating in his sleep. What if that young lady went home and something happened to her baby because no one showed her compassion. Mm -hmm. And this goes back to the old saying, when a black woman tells you she's in pain, yep. you got to fucking listen. You got to listen, bro. Like, and, 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 I, and I sat here in this emergency room, children's emergency room, and watched all these other people get seen, be in and out, get seen, be in and out. But that young woman mm -hmm. had to wait and chose to leave. And I had to cause a freaking scene mm -hmm. in order to get my son to be seen at the Children's Hospital of Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I'm saying this is because Kadena and I, are not taking this lightly. Absolutely not. And we're not taking this lightly because we want any money. I don't want anything from them. I want consequences to be handed down to the people in that emergency room. And I want protocols to be put in place to protect people who look like us. Because everybody, like Kadeen and I, don't have the finances and the resources to have grandparents at home to watch the other kids to wait in the emergency room for three hours. They don't have the resources to call a private physician to come to the house and look at the baby. Some people just have to go to the emergency room. Mm -hmm. And if you're not met with empathy and compassion in the emergency room, that's how people lose loved ones in the emergency room. Yep. Absolutely. Just like it, it would have been as simple as this, right? People are saying, well, what would have been an easy thing, an easy fix for all you people who are nurses mm -hmm. who are saying, well, things get crazy in an emergency room. Mm -hmm. It would have been this simple. Mr. Ellis, you said he might have appendicitis. For all of you who don't know what appendicitis is, uh, it's when the appendix becomes inflamed. If the appendix becomes too inflamed and it ruptures, all of the bile and everything that's in your body the then unloads itself, yeah. and creates an infection in the entire stomach, in your entire yeah. stomach, in your entire Colon. system, yep. and can cause you to die. That's what appendicitis is. So when they talk about we take people based on what's more important, appendicitis is up there. Right. Okay, and considering that there. we're being sent from another hospital who saw right. it as an emergency, it's like, mm, come on, guys. There's no gunshot victims in here. There's no stab wounds. Right. It's a children's hospital. Exactly. So for my thing, it was it was as simple as her saying, okay, you came here with appendicitis. Let me check his temperature. His fever's down. She did that. Mm -hmm. Let me take his vitals. Let me see uh, where's, where's his heart rate. You know, mm -hmm. because sometimes your heart rate is connected, directly corrected to infection, things that go on in your body. Things can happen differently when they, they take all of your vitals. Take all of his vitals, mm -hmm. which would have took five minutes. Mm -hmm. Check his abdomen. Yes. See if the pain has subsided or if it's intensified. If it's intensified, that means we're getting closer to inflammation and a rupture. If it's subsided, even with the medication, which we found out afterwards, then you know it's not appendicitis. Mm -hmm. That would have took them five minutes. And at that point, they would have said, hey, Mr. Ellis, it's clear that he doesn't have appendicitis. Mm -hmm. His fever didn't come back. Do you mind waiting while we tend to other people who may have some more serious right. issues. Until and we that, can figure out what's wrong with him. And at that point, I would have said, sure. Right. At least I know my son's not in the car possibly dying. Right. But no one had the care 
or empathy. It's called healthcare <laughs> for a reason. Right. Right. No one had the empathy to say, let me make sure that this young man is okay. Mm-hmm. And it was as simple as when we finally got into the room now. So now I'm in the room with Cairo trying to calm Cairo down and just saying to him, you know, babe, I want you to be honest about how you feel. Do you mm-hmm. feel any pain? Does your stomach hurt? Show me where. Because I didn't want Cairo to then just say he was okay for the sake right. of saying he's okay because right. he was more concerned about you. Right. So I said, listen, daddy's going to be fine. I said, I'm going to text him right now. I said, I said, do you want to call him? He said, you can text him. I text you and I said, what did I say? I said, babe. You said, babe, Cairo. Please, Cairo's okay. Cairo's feeling a little bit better. And he needs you back here. Yes. Please just try to calm down and so you can come back. Because at this point, I didn't think Deval was even going to be allowed back into the room with right. us. After making threats and saying the things I said, yeah, you know, they were saying that, you know, they, they shouldn't let you back in the hospital. But they did let me back in the hospital because clearly yeah. we were in the right. Exactly. And I think clearly. the security guard, he knew that. The, yes. the off-duty cop, he knew that. And then that. they sent the nurse home. Yes, they exactly. Sent the nurse home. So when so. the doctor came in, it was as simple as her literally pressing on his abdomen to say, okay, this is not appendicitis. If it were, he would feel that I'm pressing right. down. He couldn't stand. He, you know, but we realized at this point, the Motrin was still in place. Yes. His fever wasn't coming back. He ended up being diagnosed with a really bad case of gastroenteritis. Gastroenteritis, which she said uh, presents itself in different ways. Mm-hmm. So if you have gastroenteritis or a stomach flu or a stomach bug, you can get fever, you can get nausea, you can get diarrhea. You could also get intense stomach pain and cramping as it's trying to get the virus right. out of your body. And what yeah. happened was since Cairo wasn't eating because he felt sick and the cramping was coming, it was causing him to throw up and it was throwing up nothing but bile and mucus, mm-hmm. which causes more pain and more inflammation in his esophagus because it was nothing but bile. So she was just like, the pain he felt was severe. It wasn't mm-hmm. as severe as appendicitis pain, right? but him as a six-year-old right. wouldn't know that. Right. So when he feels the intense cramping and he's hunched over... Mm-hmm. It, it was more than what he could articulate as a exactly. six-year-old. Exactly. That was the thing. For us, we know an ache versus right. a cramp versus a dull pain versus a sharp pain. For him, right. he's just saying it hurts. Right. And then as a parent, you're just like, shit, like, I don't even know what kind of pain it is. Right, what kind of pain? Because had we sure. known that it was just that, he was kept saying he felt nauseous. And that was his symptom was the cramping and the nausea. He right. was doing a lot of vomiting and stuff like that. So um, once the doctor, you know, cleared him, he was good, gave mm-hmm. him some anti-nausea medication, gave him something for the cramping. I demanded to see the nurse on duty, whoever yes. the manager or the, the the head nurse, chief nurse on duty was. And um, we explained to her what happened. Um, at this point, she they were changing shifts too. So she was kind of coming yes. into the story. Um, and of course, we don't expect for them not to stick together. Um, the nurse pretty much was saying that the triage nurse was yes. not in the wrong because she was just following protocol and Cairo was not as deemed severe as an issue when she first um, saw him. So therefore, she felt like he was able to wait which we know is just bullshit in the end because, again, Deval heard with his own ears the reason why Cairo was pushed on the waiting list further down. Additionally, so. they don't know that they're dealing with a family that's filled with healthcare professionals. Kadeen's mom has been the director of nursing at a hospital for over 25 years. Yeah. Her sister nursing, uh, is now nursing. an ER nurse. Mm-hmm. So when we went back... We went back with the proper terms to use to ask for the right people Mm -hmm. to get things done. And we want to explain this to people so you know if you ever find yourself in a position like this. The first thing you do is ask for the house supervisor. Mm -hmm. When you ask for the house supervisor in the hospital, the house supervisor has to listen to your case. Because one thing hospitals don't want, especially children's hospitals, is bad PR. Nope. It's a business ultimately. So when you ask for the house supervisor Mm -hmm. and the patient representative... They have to sit down and listen to your case 
and shit rolls downhill. Mm -hmm. When you start asking for those people, they have to do a thorough investigation. And once they do a thorough investigation, they're, they're going to have to be some disciplinary action if they find wrongdoing done. When you don't know who to ask for, which a lot of times people in these positions don't mm -hmm. know who to ask for, mm -hmm. right? So they ask for another nurse. Or they ask for security. Or they ask for security. Yeah. So they'll speak to security, which can't do anything. Mm -hmm. Or they'll speak to another nurse who's also on the job, who is going to look out for the nurses there because sometimes these nurses don't know the stresses that have gone on. Mm -hmm. So they just try to appease people, which is not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. If you're a nurse and if you're a good nurse, all you care about is the patient. And what I will say about them, all the nurses that followed cared more about Cairo than the situation, which mm -hmm. is all we wanted anyway. From the job. All they asked yep. from the beginning was, is Cairo okay? That's the minute they came in. Mm -hmm. the, the nurse that came in afterwards when we asked to speak to the, the, the nurse's supervisor, the first thing she said when she came in the room, hey guys, sorry about anything. How is Cairo? Mm -hmm. That's all we wanted anyway. That's was it. some care and a compassion. Question. But if you find yourself in a position in the hospital where you feel like you were treated poorly, mm -hmm. ask for the house supervisor, supervisor and ask for the patient representative. Absolutely. They will listen to you and they make sure things get done. Yeah. Because what hospitals don't want is for the state to get a report because mm -hmm. that's how hospitals get citations and they get shut down. Mm -hmm. And a hospital is a business like anything else. They don't want citations and they don't want bad PR. Yeah, so this experience at our local children's hospital is indicative of a larger issue in the healthcare system. It's the lack of care in the healthcare system for people um, that's attended, that it is intended to serve. Right. So in August, a company called Wellstar Health Systems announced that it would be closing the Atlanta Medical Center on November 1st. So what does this do now? It leaves mm -hmm. the city with just one operating level one trauma center. Mm -hmm. One. For mm -hmm. entire... One, the city of Atlanta. The city of Atlanta has one. one, right? So representatives for the city of Atlanta fear that this closure will disproportionately... Oh my goodness, sorry. Disproportionately affect the city's low-income residents and create a literal life-or-death situation for an already vulnerable population. Which this is a perfect example of what happened, right? Because yeah. we we got out lucky. What if Cairo had appendicitis and his appendix was inflamed, mm -hmm. right? Knock on wood, right? Mm -hmm. But what if that were the case? Mm -hmm. We get over there, we get dismissed not once, but twice. And then we get punished for not having our son in the waiting room and Cairo's appendix ruptures in the car. Mm -hmm. Then what do we get? Mm -hmm. You know what we get? Mm -hmm. We get an apology from the hospital and then we get a hashtag and then we start this. Now we have to change the protocols. Right. So we were lucky that yes. Cairo didn't have appendicitis. But just imagine how many people come to the hospital with mm -hmm. life or death situations and have to make a decision. Right. Just like the young lady had to make a decision. Am I going to wait for three hours right. or get formula for my eight-month-old child who's coughing and hacking and she chose to leave? Mm -hmm. First of all, Prayers up for that young lady and her family. I hope everything uh, mm -hmm. is, is well with her daughter. But people should not have to make those decisions nope. living in America. Nope. Living it's just in not fair. In Atlanta at the children. That was, the I think, the most mind-blowing part for me. This is the children's hospital. This is just not like, you know, everyone's there, adults who can just kind of manage themselves and kind of just know, you know, how to express how they feel and know how to mm -hmm. deal with pain to a certain extent. This is all happening in the children's hospital. So the strain that's in the strain that situations like this put on the healthcare system is literally a trickle down effect going from providers to patients, making it hard to be seen, heard, and most importantly, cared for in your most vulnerable moments, which was definitely what we experienced in this moment. And we just felt like we had to speak up about it. Deval and I went back 
to the hospital when we kind yes. of had some sleep, just a clear conscience. We wanted to also get, um, you know, first and last names of some of the security guards who we dealt with. And and also give a shout out to those who were who vulnerable. Yes. Who, who not vulnerable, who, who did show empathy. Yeah. Right. And, and were compassionate. The, the entire security team. Oh, they were great. Because they could have handled it differently, mm-hmm. right? And this is another another reason why it's important to have people like you or who look like you there because mm-hmm. they see you as human. Mm-hmm. I felt dehumanized in that moment. I felt like she didn't care. I was just another number to oh, them or sure. just another patient. Yep. And the way she dismissed me mm-hmm. and, and the way the young man behind the desk dismissed me was almost like we see young black people here all the time. Just go wait, just go wait, just go wait. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't until the black nurses came yes. and the security team For example, these were off-duty police officers. And you hear so many times Mm -hmm. about how police officers don't come ready to de-escalate a situation. But this this man, and I'm not going to say his name around on the podcast, but this this man had children and chose not to do what he should have or could have done in that moment, Mm -hmm. which was arrest me. Mm Right. Mm-hmm. He chose to listen. Mm-hmm. And I and being seen and feeling 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 like I was seen and being heard allowed me to calm down a little bit in the moment. It did. To give a clear and concise uh version of what happened mm-hmm. so that people can have a better understanding. Well, yeah, because the last thing you want to just be is that what they want to see, the right. typical erratic Angry black dad. black dad. Yeah, exactly. Right. Who is just being irrational and just flying right. off the handle. Right. This didn't all happen for no reason. This right. happened after almost four hours of being dismissed. Right. And being put on the back burner. So that was important. Yes. And I remember looking at this um, particular security guard and he looked me in the eye and he said, Miss Ellis, your husband's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Just focus on your son. And that was just like, okay. So at least I felt like having just met this man in this situation a couple minutes ago, mm-hmm. I felt enough um ease and i felt okay he's definitely enough. a special person i yeah, agree he's definitely a special person be like all right i, I kind of trust you <laughs> to make sure that my husband's okay and he's an example as to why people say why do black people continue to join the police force mm-hmm. why are they first responders and you why should know we why? be in our areas why should we be in our neighborhoods this is a perfect example because we why. can relate to each other he's he saw me he saw himself in me mm-hmm. and treated me like a human that's it and if the nurse saw me and viewed me the same way None of this would have ever happened. Oh, absolutely not. And without saying it, because no one actually said it, but the security team and some of those nurses who came that mm-hmm. were kind of rallying around me, it, it's almost like they 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 saw this before. Oh no, they definitely said to me, no, they verbatim, you know, a few of them said to me, bro, this happened all this happens all, all the, the time. time. Yeah. That's literally what they said to me. Yeah. This happens all the time. So this isn't about Cairo. Mm-hmm. This is about the protocols in place and how they're very dismissive mm-hmm. to disenfranchise people who go to these hospitals because hospitals are big business. Right. Not to mention, like we know, Sakari is an ER nurse. Mm-hmm. A large part of the staff is overworked mm-hmm. and tired. Mm-hmm. Right. So we're not going to sit here shift. and make it seem like they're not human as well. Right. They are human Dealing as well. Dealing with a lot. And right. Sakari even said, she said, you know, one of the reasons why I didn't want to work in PEDS is because you have to deal with parents a lot. Like peds, just oh pediatrics. Pediatrics, okay. short for pediatric. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pediatrics. But she said a lot of times we just like are so stressed that we don't want to have to deal with like two parents screaming at you because they're, right. they're ch- because of their child, which is not easy. It's not. It's not easy. So we get that. Like I completely get that yes. having family in the healthcare system who are workers. Yes. Um. So we we came to the hospital with, with that a level compassion. of compassion and empathy. Yes. For healthcare workers, because yes. we have family who spent their entire life dedicated mm-hmm. to the healthcare system. That's why we understood the weight. 
we understood protocol. We right. understood the hierarchy of who gets treated for what. Absolutely. But that wasn't our case. No. That wasn't our case. We were being punished because we we didn't want to listen. And here's another thing that we were told. You know how many parents, and this is something that parents need to understand when you go to the hospital. You know how many people get tested for COVID upon entry to the emergency room mm -hmm. and test negative? Then when they leave, they test positive. Mm -hmm. We're still in a pandemic, people. So if I, as a parent, want to choose to not have my child in a crowded space, I reserve the right to do that. Right. And you can't punish me and my child right. for doing what's best for not only him, but for everybody in the room because it was crowded. Yes. There were people not sitting. There were people standing. standing. At one point you went, it looked like you were sitting on the floor when you sent me a photo of where you were. I was like... Bro, it's it's overwhelming. Yes. And I can understand if we were trying to be divas or we were trying to pull cards or throw names out there and be like, yo, call us when his name, like come to the car and get us or text me that or call me when case. that wasn't the case. I we waited. literally was like, okay, on Cairo's behalf, yes. his father is going to sit here and wait. And they can check the tapes. I sat in that corner with all them people coughing for two hours. Another family came in there with two kids who were sick and coughing and there was no seats. And I gave them my seat. It was that crowded. Mm -hmm. I, I was compliant. You know how they always say to black people, why don't you just comply? Mm -hmm. I was compliant for, for three time. hours and my son. This is why sometimes black people get pissed when you say, why don't you just comply? Because I complied with everything and mm -hmm. was still treated like less than human. And my son, who's six, who can't defend himself, mm -hmm. was treated that way. Mm -hmm. And... So I can't find no levity because I get fucking pissed thinking about this. Yeah, it's really nothing to laugh at here, y'all. It's not. Like, there, there really is. And I feel bad for people <sighs> who don't know how to speak up for themselves. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. I, I didn't care about who was videotaping me, who saw me, who was like, oh, that's the that's the vow from the Ellis's. He's acting like this. Oh, that's that. I didn't care nope. at that I point. I still don't care to this I day. I don't. Nope. I don't. They're probably going to video out there of me taking my shirt off and spazzing on everybody in there. Because there was a lot of people in there. And I don't care. Mm -hmm. I, I needed my son to be seen to make sure he was okay. Mm -hmm. And we just, we wanted to have this podcast to be able to give you some insight into what's happening so mm -hmm. you don't feel like it just it was just you. Right. But also who to ask for. Right. Like, I, our family has been in the healthcare system. So knowing to ask for the house supervisor and for patient experience is something that we know. Mm -hmm. So we just want to share this information. If you have an issue with the hospital, don't just go home and say, oh, this happens all the time. It's okay because it's not. It's not okay. Don't add, tell security. Security can't report it to anybody. They can file a report, right. but that's not going to go anywhere. Right. You have to ask for the house supervisor. And also uh, the Emergency Medical Treatment and Active Labor Act. Um, it says that every patient entering the emergency department has the right to be seen and evaluated if they have an emergency. So they have to see you. It doesn't yes. matter about insurance. It doesn't matter about anything. Yes. You have to be seen. Yes. Additionally, it ensures that physicians cannot ask the patient for any proof of insurance or form of payment until after they're stabilized and treated. Because they sure as hell rolled up in there for a co-pay and yes. insurance. The minute we got the room, yes. as soon as we got through, that was the next person that came in was homegirl with the cart to take the information and the payment. Yes. Which is crazy because... We had to wait three hours to be seen, but the minute we got into a room, they came in and asked for our insurance. Now, mm -hmm. they she did go to take the payment, mm -hmm. and she said, wait, I can't take the payment Until because the doctor sees his him. name was still red, so yeah. the doctor had to be seen. But they had all of those things in place. Mm -hmm. Like, it was instantly in the room, bang, get insurance information. Mm -hmm. But we come in there to be treated, and I got to wait three hours to be triaged? Exactly. That shows you that there's something wrong with the protocol. Yep. Insurance companies are required. To cover emergency care regardless of the diagnosis and emergency care is covered based on the person's symptoms rather than their final diagnosis. Which is important mm -hmm. because Sakari 
made this very clear. This is why it's good to speak to medical professionals. When Cairo reached the Children's Hospital of Atlanta, his symptoms, his symptoms had subsided because he was medicated at Emory. Right. Not because it went away, right. but that he was medicated in Emory and they gave him the medication to ease the pain so that he could make it to the Children's Hospital of Atlanta, mm-hmm. which is why I was so adamant about him being triaged because I wanted someone to see him mm-hmm. and I didn't want to just take him back home and then he wake up in the morning in more, more pain, pain and it'd be too late. Exactly. So they can't look at your child and say, well, based on the way he looks now, right. he's not in pain. Right. Yeah, because he was medicated. Right. I think that might have also too been what the triage nurse saw. She's like, oh, no fever. Oh, like it's kind of like as she was checking him, but it's like, but she didn't, che- she didn't check him though. She didn't take all of his vitals. Oh, when she, we first got you there. You have to take no, all No, I met of, the nurse um, when we first got to the room. Oh, when we first yeah, got Yeah, when we first got to the room, the nurse right. came and was just like, oh, okay, so fever's down, blood pressure's down, and all that. And he was like, at this point, kind of like in and out of sleep. Right. Because he was that still- That was after we got in the room. He was still under The triage you know, the nurse is the nurse that I have the biggest issue with. That's the one that said yeah. that we, we didn't wait, so she didn't want to take his vitals. Oh, absolutely. She didn't take any of his absolutely. vitals. She did take his temperature- Mm-hmm. As he sat in a chair and she got his weight, mm-hmm. and then she just dismissed us and said we had to wait. Right. Hospital wait times are based on several factors, but non urgent needs are not one of them. The CDC states that 95% of emergency room victims, uh, sorry, not victims, visits are medical emergencies. So, again, understanding too that there is a hierarchy, right? Someone comes in bleeding profusely. Yes. Or, you know, someone can't breathe or yes. they're having a heart attack, that kind of pain, chest pain. There are certain things that, that take precedence over other things. Absolutely. But in our case, because we were transferred from another hospital and clearly everyone in there in that moment was really just kind of sitting there coughing, sneezing in and right. out of sleep. We felt like that was grounds for us to be seen yes. in a timely manner to yes. at least rule out yes. the appendicitis. So, yeah, it was important for Deval and I once everything kind of calmed down. We Cairo was stabilized. Um, the next day we went out, we were coming back home and we were we're passing the children's hospital. So we wanted to just stop in to make sure that we had everything in place because what I'm going to do is write a letter. Mm-hmm. One thing about me, I'm going to write a letter and we'll be back up there again to see the house supervisor. And we're, we're going to come back, put our suits on, mm-hmm. nice dress on, call our attorney, mm-hmm. and we're going to go speak to the house supervisor. Mm-hmm. You want to play these games? Right. We can play the same game. And the state of Georgia will hear about it. Because that's one thing that my mom, being an administrator for over 30 yes. years in a nursing home facility, one thing they don't want you to do is call the state. Nope. They don't want you to call the state. Nope. And then when the state has to launch an investigation, then things really get out of control. And I think Cairo's worth it. I think every child. Every child. Regardless is worth of it. what who, what they look like, every child, every child is worth it. And it's funny when I was talking to one of my friends who I usually call whenever I need a prayer moment and stuff, Christina, she said, after we found out everything's okay and I told her the story, she said, maybe, maybe y'all were just meant to go through that to just be the voice for people are the voiceless. Maybe we were meant to be in that situation to just say something. And that's why it was important for us to even have this podcast because she's like, you know, thankfully Cairo's okay. Thankfully Cairo's okay. But you know, the, the initial emergency room you went to, you had a good experience there. Yes. I will say Emory was great. Um, but think about how many children are dealing with these kind of situations. And parents who are you're frustrated, you know, because of this lack of of empathy and compassion in a children's hospital. Right. Bruh. Woo. I need a so, break. Yeah. yeah, let's take a break. I need a break. And let's we can come back break. and do listener letters. All right, y'all. Stay with us. Mm-hmm. 
All right, ladies, let's be real. Who here actually enjoys shaving their legs? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought so. And get this. Near, yes, near, the OG that I used for years has now leveled up. And they have these new sensational shower creams and body creams that smell amazing. My personal favorite, coconut oil and vitamin E because it's gentle on my skin. And down to the body cream, rich cocoa butter and vitamin E body cream, which is a modern take on indulgent and classic femininity. Okay, it works in as little as three minutes, no nicks, no cuts, and the smooth skin lasts days longer than shaving. Nair's new sensational shower and body creams are free of all those nasty chemicals so you can feel good about what you're putting on your skin. Have a me time moment with Nair, the number one hair removal brand. Smell for yourself. Try the reformulated Nair body and shower creams available at retailers nationwide and online. There's power in every purchase because every time we buy a black lead brand, we make room for another black lead brand. And y'all know I love my lip bar products. That's just one to name a few. There is a whole collection of black lead products that fit into your daily routine. Show black founders some love, not just during Black History Month. But all year long. That's right, y'all. Black founders and the products they bring to the table are creating a whole new world of choices at Walmart. That's right. Go to walmart.com slash black and unlimited to discover all the amazing black owned products you can add to your daily routine. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation, I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating. And a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. All right, we're back. Listener letters. Hopefully this will give us a little change of pace, child, because whew, the way we are in here sweating and it ain't the lights. <laughs> we can just get no. pissed every time we tell this story. And we've told this story several times since right. it's happened. And I, it's okay because I need this to still be fresh in my mind as I'm in the process of writing this very yes. detailed letter about what happened. Um, so I could just send that out to everyone that needs to know about it um, at that hospital. But let's change the pace and um, tap into y'all's letters, which y'all been writing it on, okay? Kadena Deval, first off, I love y'all and look up to you so much. Thank Thank you, you, sis. I'm a 27-year-old married woman. I've been married for two years now. I just needed advice. I'm not sure what to do in my marriage. I'm the main breadwinner. I work three jobs. Mm. I take care of my household. I make sure everything is okay. 
I am an esthetician just starting her business and my business is not starting off the way I wanted to. I don't have the finances to finance everything I need in my business because I have to make sure all three kids have everything they need. Three jobs and three kids. Right. And she's married. Mm -hmm. Okay. How do I not grow resentment towards my husband and continue to push forward with my business even when I feel like I'm in failure and a bad mom? I have really bad depression and anxiety, and I feel like in this situation it consumes me even more. Well, what is he doing? Like, I didn't, she didn't give I me anything. She is didn't he... say he doesn't have a job, but okay. she says she's the main breadwinner. So she has three jobs. Right. She has three jobs. Is it that he has one? Is he a stay-at-home dad? Um, I think if he was a stay-at-home dad, she would have said, my husband doesn't work. Doesn't work, right. So I think, and she said the main breadwinner, which means he does okay, make so money. Okay, so he does make some money. Gotcha. And she feels like she's pulling the weight of everything. Well, I already know off the bat, just as a woman, um, that the trying to find the balance between being mom, having three kids, you know, and then also trying to balance a job and starting a business, like that in itself is a whole lot. Um and it's hard if you don't have the support. It's really hard. It's it's difficult being a woman because when you're the main breadwinner, right? If your if your dreams and aspirations for yourself are higher than your partner, mm-hmm. right? What if he does have a good job, but that's just not enough for her? Mm-hmm. She wants more. She's going after more, mm-hmm. but she's still also a mom mm-hmm. and a wife. Mm-hmm. It's hard to not grow resentment, you know. When, and you know when they talk about. Finding someone that's evenly yoked. Mm-hmm. People think that's all about relation, all about religion. It's not all about religion. Right. You have to find someone who has the same dreams and aspirations as you have. Yes. Right? If you want different things in life, what if he's a simple man? Mm-hmm. And he's just like, we don't need to have three jobs. Oh, we're, yeah. we're good where we are. I know a couple can, just like this. You know what I'm saying? Can yep. you can you really fault him mm-hmm. for for being comfortable where he is? Right. But can you fault her for, for wanting having more? Drive. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And to ambition. me, it sounds like two people. Who may, because she didn't say he was a bad father. She didn't say he was right. a deadbeat. She didn't say he wasn't non-existent. Mm-hmm. It sounds to me like she wants to start another business. Right. And she wants more support financially. It makes sense, and she yeah. Wants more support and he's just not there for it. Yeah, she says, because how do I not grow resentment towards my husband and continue to push forward in her business? So it seems like she's just trying to do more, right. trying to make ends meet. Um, and I mean, let's be for real. In this day and age, just because you have two people in a household yeah. doesn't necessarily mean that you're making ends meet with it's those It's difficult. Those it's incomes. difficult now, absolutely. It's difficult. I mean, mom and dad just working one job a piece. I don't think I've ever just seen that. I know my parents at some point... My mom my was working two, two jobs. jobs. My dad was working two jobs. Yeah. Like it's just it's just a thing that has to happen. Well, not to cut. Go ahead, finish it. No, thing. you're fine. No, I was gonna just pay, piggyback off. Both of what your you said. parents worked in healthcare, so it's it's a little mm-hmm. bit more commonplace for people in healthcare to have two jobs because you can have your per diem job, right? But then you also have your hourly job. Yes. Um, my mom, for example, only worked one job. She worked for the city. Mm-hmm. So there are also a lot of people who work their nine to five. Mm-hmm. And that's what they, that's my job. Right. You know, having another job to them is not even possible because mm-hmm. I work for the city. I work nine to five. I have good benefits. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is a conversation that should have happened earlier about where, what they wanted out of life. Mm. Right. That's because a good point. Because now that now they're, they're 27, they have three kids, which means they've been together since they were young. Mm-hmm. Right. So let's just say they had three kids and they had the kid back to the children back to back to back. Mm-hmm. That means the children have to be at least a year to a year and a couple months apart. Mm-hmm. So that means she started getting pregnant around 24, early 20s, yeah. 24, 23. She mm-hmm. didn't know who she was at 24, 23. Right. If he's young, mm-hmm. he didn't know. Right. But now she's reaching closer to 30. 
she may say, you know what? I want more out of life. Well, yeah, a lot of shit happens too. Sometimes when you, you have children too, like you ever hear people say like my children or having children ignited like this drive in me right. because I just want to do more for them and I want to give them more opportunities. And right. sometimes that happens to people. Right. And and like you said, her husband may be like, well, we we're good. good. <laughs> you know? Right. So And I, I think that's, that's a conversation that continuously has to happen mm-hmm. throughout the marriage, right? When your, your, your dreams change, your goals change, you don't have to just sit in it and be like, dang, my goals change. I'm going to do it on my own. Continue to speak to your partner about it. Mm-hmm. Kadeen and I have often gone through these modes where uh, between the two of us, I'm the constant dreamer, mm-hmm. right? Um, I always call Kadeen the Amex killer. That's that's her nickname. Everybody knows that. I make mm-hmm. so much jokes about how much money Kadeen spends. Let me tell y'all something. If I didn't make a lot of money and Kadeen didn't make a lot of money and we lived in the apartment, you know what Kadeen would be? Fine. Mm-hmm. Because she was fine when we moved we back there. to the apartment. Yes. She never complained. Some people are just happy in their space, in their moment with that person they love. Yes. And that yes. could be him the same way it was Kadeen. I always wanted more. Mm-hmm. And in wanting more, sometimes Kadeen and I used to have this argument. I used to be like, I'm the only one pushing. I'm the only one going. I'm the only one going. I remember one time Kay said something to me that kind of shocked me, but it made me realize that she was right. Remember when I, we were having an argument mm-hmm. and I said, I, I bought you this ring. I bought you this house to do this and this, all this and stuff. And you said, I didn't ask for none of this shit. <laughs> <laughs> right. It was the house in Michigan. The house in Michigan. He was like, I bought this house in Michigan for us. That could be our starter home and we could have a life in Michigan. I'm like, I never said I you wanted said, to start I ne- a life in Michigan, nor did I ask for a house. I thought this was just a tax write-off situation. And I was like, like I was like, yeah, but I still bought it. But <laughs> I had to realize that, dang, I never even had the conversation with mm-hmm. my wife about what she wanted out of life right. and told her what I wanted to see if we were on the same page. Mm-hmm. As I continued to express to Kay over time and over time what I wanted from my life and what I wanted for us, she then was like, okay. Right. So I'm dealing I see with where a, this is going to go. Yeah. She, <laughs> she literally said to Val, you could be the richest man in the world and you know what you're going to want to do? Get more. Still work. Still do more. She, she was just like, that's just I mean, just not for you. nothing. I was appreciative in the moment. I was just yeah. like, great. Like, I love this house. Like, oh, you know, we were mm-hmm. we were technically, I guess, playing house because we weren't quite engaged right. or married yet. So, right. you know, we were shacking up. But we were shacking up in a cute little house. <laughs> yeah, we had a nice it house. Was, yeah, you know, so... um. So, so I didn't. I didn't want to make it ever seem like I was ungrateful for the things that you were provided for me. But you, you did have um, your own vision of what you wanted to have for your future wife and right. future family. So and it sounds I respected to me, that. It sounds to me like she has her own vision. Working three yes. jobs and, the and he business. works and, yeah. and she's starting a business. And it sounds to me like she's an entrepreneur and she's looking for more purpose and she wants more things. Mm-hmm. And her husband's probably mm-hmm. like, "Yeah, we good, right? We're good, absolutely." And and I could also see if y'all don't have a conversation and you start a business, right? Just this doesn't have to be a, a woman or a man, but this is a, a spouse. We don't have a conversation about starting businesses, and I just start another business. Right. And now I started this business, and I don't have the finances to see the business through. Because anytime you start a business, it takes three years for that business to make it into the black. Mm-hmm. Typically, you spend the first three years just investing in the business. So now you're putting all your money into the business, and you're looking at your partner like, why ain't you help me? Mm-hmm. Your partner can look at you and be like, I ain't start this business. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm trying to make sure that everything we have now is on point and you want to spend more money starting another business. Right. The resentment can go both ways. That's true. That's, That's why a conversation yeah. needs to happen. It's, it's interesting that you said that because it, it made me also think of another situation with another couple that I know where it was like, you know, the woman was like the business mindset. She's like, okay, great. I'm just going to do this. And this is my new business venture. And mm-hmm. it's like, you know, her husband just had to be along with it, like just right. had to go along with the flow. And he was kind of like, I know that you're not even equipped to be able to do this. Why are you starting this business <laughs> right. when right. you know you're not 
you know, you don't have the time for it or you're don't already time, stressed out. Right? So he might be saying to her, sis, like, I know you want to start this business, but can you mm-hmm. can you realistically give it 110% right now in this moment? So he might be hands off and be like, yo, right. you about to dig this hole. I'm going to let you dig it by yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, so there are a lot of different ways that this can go. I wish I had his perspective as well, too, to kind right. of give a better, um, you know, advice to you. But she, um, but she did ask, how do I push forward and not grow resentment? You know how you don't grow resentment towards people? Have conversations. Conversations, to understand. conversations bring forth clarity. Mm-hmm. You don't have resentment when you know. Resentment comes from not knowing. Yeah. Why didn't didn't this person support me? Yeah. Well, when you get clarity, now you have clarity and you know. And at that point, you can make a decision. And Mm -hmm. if you make a decision to stay, even though the person is clear as to why they don't want to support, you can't have resentment towards that person. You need to have resentment towards yourself. Mm -hmm. Because you made the decision to stay. Have conversations consistently. And stop thinking that you're ever going to reach a point in your marriage when you're not going to have conversations. If there's anything Kadeen and I can tell you about marriage, part of the reason why we have dead ass podcasts (laughs) is that marriage is a never ending conversation. Mm -hmm. That's what it is because Mm -hmm. as you evolve and he evolve and and young lady, you're 27. When you're 35, your mindset is going to be completely different than you were when you were 27. As your kids grow, your mindset are gonna, is going to change. So continue to have the conversations and speak to each other. Just yep. continue to talk and be honest and upfront in real time. Good luck, sis. Number two, dear Deval and Kadeen, hope you all see this and respond because your girl needs some help. <laughs> I'm married to my high school sweetheart of 15 years. Congratulations. Been married for a year and a half, but we've hit a crossroads. For years, he has expressed to me that he is interested in being with other women for experiences and has suggested threesomes or bringing in, bring in a girlfriend. I'm not 100% against it, but I get mad jealous. They're from New York. <laughs> I get mad jealous when he attempts to go and do things we have talked about. We are grown now, 31 with two kids, and there are some things I would like to experience as well, as I've only been with my husband, but I don't want to disgrace our marriage. We have been discussing separation, but we have both but we both feel that we just need to continue to be open and honest with each other, right? Mm-hmm. And that we can overcome whatever. At times, I feel like I would just let him roam and be free and happy because I love him that much. Do you think there's a way to keep our relationship happy and successful as long as we are truthful? Or are we headed down a bad road? Signed, the lost sweetheart. Aww. This is what I feel. We've been there. One thing, yeah, we've been there before, definitely. Mm-hmm. There's, this is one thing that I think triggered me to realize what's going wrong. Right. Okay. She says, I don't mind trying these experiences and I have experiences I want to try on my own, but I don't want to disgrace our marriage, Mm -hmm. which means she's thinking about who? Other people. Other people. Yeah. That's the problem. Other people. Both her and her husband may be thinking about other people when deciding what to do within their marriage. Mm -hmm. And that's a recipe for disaster. Right. You guys have to come to terms with what you need and what you want. And you have to walk that walk together. Together. Period. What other people may think or believe about your marriage does not matter. It doesn't. It don't. I'm not going to sit here and say. Because we're not going to judge what y'all trying to do neither. Because we've, we've been in situations like this where we're just yes. like, damn, like, I think I want more. Like, we've been together since we were 18 years 18. old. Like, I haven't had experiences. He hasn't had experiences. Mm-hmm. So I get it. But it's like, who are you advertising this to for them to even right. feel like, damn, this is a disgraceful right. marriage. Right. Only and, y'all have to agree on this. And the truth of the matter is. 
having those open conversations with each other may allow y'all to create a safe space to find out how to try things together without including other people. Mm -hmm. That's what Kadeen and I did, That's right? That's what we did. After a while, Eow. after a while, <laughs> yes, after a while, Eow. you like, well, I want to try this. I want to try that. How can I do this mm -hmm. without my wife knowing because I don't want her to feel bad? Mm -hmm. Well, she may say, you may say, how can I do this without telling my husband because I don't want him to feel bad? When if y'all speak together, you can say, all right, well, you like this and I like that. Well, why don't we try using this? Uh -huh. Why don't we try doing that? Absolutely. And then you find ways to have those experiences without really having those experiences. And it gets to be kind of fun. Like we recently had a conversation about just like sexual fantasies and things mm -hmm. that we might have tried, you know, either when we were younger or things that we want to try now or mm -hmm. like different things that we've seen in like the latest porn episode that were like, oh shit, mm -hmm. like, you know. Um, and we found ways of like how you, how can we be creative and kind of invent those those yeah. experiences for each other. And we found some ways. And we I'm just like, okay, this is different, but it's, it's good. Fun. And, and it's, it's been, been fun. fun. It's been fun trying to figure yeah. things out. Um, I will especially say this now too. that my baby's uh, on the road to shooting blanks. So eh, eh, <laughs> listen, eh, listen, listen. Eh, eh. It's we, about to be on the popping, y'all. So yeah, I, I hope y'all listen to the podcast about the vasectomy. So y'all mm -hmm. can we we talked a lot about sex in that episode. So mm -hmm. just take some of the cues from that episode and, and apply it here. <laughs> right. Because listen to me, man, when you can get on the same sexual path as your partner, mm -hmm. nobody else's ideas matter. Right. Now Kadeen and I and I need to say this because people really don't know. We don't believe in an open marriage for us. Mm -hmm. We believe in monogamy. Mm -hmm. We believe in monogamy. Yeah, so for us. you can still be with somebody you've been with since you were a teenager and still enjoy a healthy sex life with that person mm -hmm. without including other people. Yeah. But for those who do believe in an open marriage or polygamy, if it works for you, it works for you. Lock like, out, y'all. Stop saying other people, we're worried about disgracing our marriage to other. That shit don't matter. None of them people you worried about is ever going to step in and just be like, you know what? Y'all are having issues. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to take care of these bills for y'all. Mm -hmm. I'm going to take care of your kids. You know yep. what? I'm going to go ahead exactly. I'm going I'm I'm to find a way to make you right happy. You. Like, there ain't nobody going to step in and say that. You know what I'm right. saying? I'm going to find a way to make you happy. Yeah. No. All they're going to do is talk anyway. Period. So speak to each other, find out what's good for each other, and stop thinking about other people. The only mm -hmm. way you can disgrace your marriage is if you're dishonest with each other. That's the only way you can really disgrace True. your marriage. Yeah. Keep having those open, honest, healthy conversations. Like you said, and you asked in your question here, do you think there's a way to keep our relationship happy and successful as long as we're always truthful? Yes. 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 And the conversations are going to be tough at times, sis, but they're worth it. Now- and here's the thing, because this this last question always is, or are we headed down a bad road? Mm -hmm. People always ask about the headed down a bad road when it comes time to including other people. Mm -hmm. We do know some couples who have successfully added other people to their relationship, and they live a happy, mm -hmm. happy marriage. Oh, yeah. And we know some people who try to remain monogamous and are fucking miserable. Facts. And their kids are miserable. Mm -hmm. And their in-laws are miserable. Their because dog they're, is miserable. Everybody's miserable Everybody because miserable. They're, they're trying to live the way everybody wants them to live. And that's not working. Mm -hmm. But then we do have other couples that are like, yeah, we do this. We do that. We, we go to these parties. We do this. And I'm just like, I, I don't know how because I can't do it. But mm -hmm. they are happy. And they have kids. Right. And they're, they're very successful. They're successful financially. And they... Haven't had any issues where some of the monogamous couples we know mm -hmm. have found out later on that, yeah. oh, I thought I was monogamous, but I wasn't. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And Facts. you know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. People walk around claiming that monogamy is the best and thinking that, you know, I'm in a monogamous relationship, not knowing that, yeah, you may be, but your partner may not hey. be. 
because mm-hmm. y'all just trying to hold up appearances for other people. Mm-hmm. You can't do that with your marriage. You have to whack, do what's y'all. right for you. This shit is whack. Do what's right for you. But as far as the Ellis's, we love monogamy. Mm-hmm. So whatever you decide, make sure you love what you decide and exactly. live it truthfully. Right. And it may take a little bit to get there, but you'll get there. Yes. All right, y'all. If you want to be featured as one of our listener letters, be sure to email us at deadassadvice at gmail.com. That's D-E-A-D-A-S-S-A-D-V-I-C-E at gmail.com. All right. Moment of truth time. John Q up in this bitch. (laughs) (laughs) I literally thought about that movie in the car, too. I was like, Deval would literally come in here and like have this whole place under manners quick. I, and I wouldn't care about any and of the repercussions. Anything to protect my my family. Right. As a matter of fact, that's my my, that's my moment, moment of truth. truth. Mm-hmm. My moment of truth is that you as a man have a responsibility to protect your family by any means necessary. Mm-hmm. And anybody who's going to step in the way of that going to have to deal with the wrath. Mm-hmm. That's just my moment of truth. Yep. Um, make sure that you advocate for your children mm-hmm. and your wife. Um, as intelligently as possible Mm -hmm. because even once they feel the wrath you have to eloquently articulate why you gave somebody the wrath so don't just be out here just trying to gun bust and throw hands do all this other stuff (laughs) be able to articulate your perspective so that people can understand where you're coming from Mm -hmm. that's the only way you can get empathy and compassion additionally if you work in if you work as a first responder or anyone dealing with people at their worst Mm -hmm. at a heightened sense of urgency Please take that job seriously, but take it with empathy and compassion because that's what we all require as people. Absolutely. I think my moment of truth is having experienced all of this, doing a little bit of research sometimes and knowing ahead of time, even before an emergency situation, know the protocols with hospital, know Mm -hmm. the hierarchy of who needs to be contacted if something does go awry. Um, We've talked a lot about that, even just on our pregnancy episodes, like, yes. you know, being an advocate and doing your research and knowing the resources. Mm-hmm. The same thing applies in a children's hospital. The same thing applies in a regular emergency room where there are adults. Mm-hmm. Just knowing who can potentially be your advocate in those moments at the hospital, knowing who you can make a complaint to, mm-hmm. um, know if it's going to be falling on deaf ears, yep. um, making sure that you're documenting times, yes. names, first and last names of people who you are having these interactions yes. with. Um, because if it does come to a situation like ours where we are planning to and are in the process of taking it up into higher yes. levels, you want to, like DeVal said, articulately, ex- articulately explain verbally, but also on paper, yes. what your experience looked like and knowing who to send these complaints to so something can be done. Yes. And don't feel like the system's ever too big. All complaints don't fall on deaf ears. Yeah. So if you're at home feeling like something happened to you mm-hmm. and it's like, I'm not going to say nothing because no one's going to care. That's not true. Yeah. People care. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out one more time to the security team over at the Children's Healthcare Center of Atlanta Emergency yes. Room. They were great. All right, y'all. Be sure to follow us on social media. Uh, Dead Ass the Podcast. We have our own page, which is growing beautifully. Thank you y'all it, so right? much. Yes, thank y'all. I wasn't sure how much people would tune into the actual podcast page, but I love to see y'all yes. there. And of course, tune into Kadeen I Am. And I am Deval. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Dead Ass. Deadass is a production of iHeartMedia Podcast Network and is produced by Denora Pena and Tribble. Follow the podcast on social media at Deadass the Podcast and never miss a thing.
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. It's time to celebrate Black History Month at the Walmart Black and Unlimited Clock. One at Flatiron Plaza in New York City and one at Ovation Hollywood in Los Angeles from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. With giveaways dropping every hour on the hour, it's a perfect time to try, like, and share black-led products. It's free for everyone, and it's your chance to see how you can level up your daily routine with black-led products that are creating a new world of choices at Walmart. Trust, you don't want to miss it.